Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. And what a wonderful time of worship we have had here this morning. And uh, let me encourage you, if you would, go ahead and grab your Bible so you can turn with me to the book of Isaiah. If you didn't bring a Bible with you and you need one, uh, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. You can turn to the book of Isaiah and then you can take that Bible with you uh, and you can take it home with you. And I uh, want to encourage you in, in any which way we can uh, to plug into God's Word. And we are always excited in every opportunity we have to do that together. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about, we've gone on our little road trip, right? And we've had our little summer, summer trip, and we are spending some time in the book of Isaiah. Uh, we've been in Isaiah chapter 40 the whole, the whole time so far, and uh, we've still got some more ground to cover. And we've seen some amazing things in talking about the grandeur of the glory of God. And these glimpses of glory that we've seen so far, and we, we can remember even the context of where we are within the book of Isaiah, and thinking about this declaration that exile is coming, and this reminder that comfort is sure in the Lord, and this, you know, all of the declarations that we saw last week, and the wonder of knowing the grandeur of the glory of God as our shepherd and rescuing king, and the one who is so magnificently glorious in so many ways that it just boggles the imagination and yet it stirs us to delight in the worship of the Lord. And as you think about any road trip, right, there's always this time and these gaps between places. You know, maybe you've, you've planned out one of those road trips before where you, you go to one place and you spend some time there and then you, you, you get back in the car and you start to head down the road to the next spot in the road where you're going to spend some time. And interestingly enough, People have figured out along the way that when you follow along these roads between these places, a lot of times there's other little touristy places to stop. And a lot of times, you know the way it's marketed, maybe you see the billboard on the side of the road, or maybe you, know, you see it somewhere along the way, and it'll say, world's greatest whatever. And you're like, hey, that sounds like a place I should go, right? And so all, you know, you're following it along, it's like 10 miles to the world's greatest museum. You're like, all right, we're going to pull off there, and all the kids are already in, the, in this back seat going to be like, you know, i got to go to the bathroom. Be like, well, i got a place, right? we got this figured out. And you finally get there, and you pull up into the parking lot, and it's like, what is this? This isn't even the world's greatest truck stop. I don't even know what this is. And when you start to compare the grandeur of the glory of what you just saw and the, the wonder of it, and then you look at this and you, you start to try to compare the two, you're like, it's not, it, we're not even talking about the same category here. But see, this is a helpful reminder for us as we continue to walk together and see glimpses of God's glory in Isaiah chapter 40. Because so many of the things that we worship and adore in this life, when you compare them to the grandeur and the glory of who God is, we're not even talking in the same category. It's not even remotely close. And to stir our hearts by way of reminder in seeing that, grab your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40, and start reading with me in verse 18, and we'll read all the way down through verse 26 together. So read with me, if you will, Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 18, and this is what we read. It says, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? 
Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in this moment... Lift our eyes to behold you in all of your incomparable glory. Father, stir our minds, attention, direct our hearts, affection, and Father, may we be amazed yet again at who you are and that in who you are, seeing the depth of your love and grace that you care for us. Stir us to worship you together in spirit and in truth as we walk together in your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at verse 18, it's very helpful to even ask this question, right? To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? We were amazed even thinking about last week, you know, talking about who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with a span. And, and so you, and trying to unpack these things, it's always helpful as we think, we, we like to compare things, to try to say, well, it's like this. That's one of the frustrating, you know, people use that word for all manner of different things. It's, we, we try to make all of these comparisons to try to understand, to try to categorize, to try to organize in our mind, what is this actually like? And yet the grandeur of the glory of God has no comparison. So we've got to start to see the futility of comparison with Him so that it would stir us to know our God who is incomparably glorious. He says, what likeness will you compare with Him? He who is most wonderful, who is worthy of worship, who is most prominent, who is absolutely significant. How do you compare the incomparable God with anything? You see, what we're, what we're being led to by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at work through the prophet Isaiah here is to be reminded we are meant to see that He is beyond comparison. And that when you see him as incomparable and glorious, then you want to worship him. You want to follow him. You want to know him. You see, as Tim mentioned a moment ago, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So that when you look at everything else, it looks like loss in comparison. He is that amazing. We need to see the folly of comparison, which is unpacked for us here. He says, to whom will you liken God or what likeness will you compare with him in an idol? A craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains? I mean, even the answer to the question is meant to feel incredulous. Like, are you serious? Would you even consider such a thing? I mean, we, we get 
like this enough whenever the children or the grandchildren, right, they'll start to draw pictures and they'll bring you the picture and they'll hand it to you and you're like, what am I looking at here? They're like, oh, that's you. You're like, should I be offended by this? I don't, is, are you serious? Like, because bad as it was in the mirror this morning, it didn't look like this. How much more so in comparison to the glory of God that, that an idol? It's like, are we, are we really thinking about this? And you think about the history of Israel. I mean, you think about the whole golden calf incident in, in Exodus. And that not only did they make the golden calf, but in making the golden calves, what they said is, these are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. So they were taking the glory that belonged to the Lord alone and saying, look at these golden calves that did all of these wonderful things. The credit that was due to the Lord alone was being given to two golden calves. How ridiculous. How easy it is for us to to shape what we want into the worship, into what we want instead of seeing and beholding the glory of who he is and worshiping him for who he is. And as you look closer, you think, a craftsman casts it? That means somebody had to make it, had to make it. He is, an idol is created. Our God is the creator. There's a big difference, isn't there? We should think about it in these terms. We're not talking in the same category. You think about some of the things that we could craft, right? You could make even the, the, the legendary paper mache volcano, right? You could fold together that you're really cool looking origami goose, right? You could take your popsicle sticks and build your popsicle stick cabin. But as you do so and then you look at it and you're like, this is pretty cool. Do you expect anything out of it? Is it going to bring you comfort or hope or help or love or peace or anything whatsoever? It had to be made. You had to sit there and put it all together. And so what we're doing here is it's like we're looking back and forth. So we're beholding the grandeur of the glory of God. And then we're looking over here and we're like, what is this? So that we would turn again and just behold him and be amazed at who he is and how he is. I mean, you look at the idol. The goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. The idol has to be adorned. You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a, you can put gold on a piece of wood, it's still an idol. Just because you dress it up doesn't mean anything. It is what it is. But then you behold our God and he is adorned with the splendor of his holiness. He does not need us to adorn him. He actually in grace adorns us. He does not require our effort to beautify him. No, he takes us broken and dead in our trespasses and sin. Makes us alive and then adorns us with his righteousness. It's not even close to the same thing. And it's like the more you look and the more you see and the more you just start to compare the two, you see our incomparable God is amazing in the futility of comparing anything or anyone with him. Behold him. See him. And lay down all other options for your adoration and worship. Because there is a tendency in the heart of man to want to worship. If you're not going to worship the true living God, you're going to find something or someone to worship. 
You may not even have the means to do so with the, the fancy, you know, overlaid with gold and silver chains sort of idol. It might be like verse 20 where it says, He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. And sometimes you can't afford the luxury idol, so you got to go for the base model. And that's what people do. It has no intrinsic value whatsoever. It's all added value. It's not lasting. And so the best you can do is instead of choosing pine, you get cypress. You seek out a skillful craftsman to do something with it. To shape it. To make it how I want it. This is the danger of the deceptiveness of the human heart. There's a tendency to make the gods that we want. God that will give us a pass on everything that we want to do. Be hard on the people we want to be hard on and be easy on us. But the true and living God is not that way. He's better than that. He cares about us too much for us to pursue such trivial matters. Because the best you're going to get out of this situation is a voiceless, motionless, dead object. Do you want a God that you have to shape for yourself or the one who shapes you? What a wonderful reminder we have from even from Ephesians chapter 2. Right, We are saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift of God so that no one may boast. We are not saved by our own works. It is freely gifted to us. And you remember what verse 10 says? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Our God shapes us. He saves us by his grace and then shapes us. And when you experience that, when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you experience the living God who does this to you, you look back at all those things that you used to worship and be like, I don't want anything to do with all that. That was a waste of time. Look at what we have in Christ. Our God speaks. Our God lives. Our God brings comfort and brings strength. He is full of mercy. He stirs in us hope. The real God. He is the one upon whom we lean. He does not need us to stabilize him. He stabilizes us. You see the futility of comparison here. You start to look at everything else that could capture your adoration and your worship, and you start putting things aside. Like, nope, 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 nope. And you lift up your eyes, and you see, there he is. As we see him articulated so clearly and and displayed so beautifully in his word. It's like this call, come and know the incomparable God who displays his great power. Look at what he says in verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Now again, you know, you get into the fun of the the word, the verb tenses here. It's interesting even thinking about this because for when he says, do you not know, do you not hear, he's using a tense that's talking about ongoing action. You need constant reminders. You need to constantly be listening. But when he says, has it not been told you, have you not understood, he's talking about completed action, that God has done these things already. Do you not know? 
And not just factual knowledge, but relational knowledge. The living God, he's not a cypress stump sitting on a pedestal somewhere. He's the living God who is among us, who is at work in us. The the God who has made himself known, he's incomparable. Have you not heard? Do you not hear? Who are we listening to? Who has our ears? Whose voice? He says, has it not been told you from the beginning? It's funny thinking about this in terms of a road trip. Because if you've ever gone on a road trip with somebody who's, who's been to the place that you're going to beforehand, all they can really say is, just you wait. Right? It's not a wonderful thing for us to, to plug into our evangelism strategies. Just you wait. Because maybe you've been in the car before and you're going out to the Grand Canyon and you, you know, you've seen pictures of it and everything else and everybody always tells you the same thing. And it's like when you stand on the edge of it, no picture has ever done it justice. It's like so all you can do for the whole way out there is be like, just you wait. Just you wait till you get a glimpse of the glory of God. Just you wait till you get a glimpse of the grandeur of his love and his grace. Just you wait. Has it not been told you from the beginning? From the beginning of existence, we are reminded even from the very beginning of God's word, God speaks. And here we are made in his image. He is not made in ours. He gives life. He redeems. He reconciles. He has life-giving power. Ultimately displayed in Jesus Christ himself. Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? He's made himself known by his word, not our art. That's not to to deny that God has gifted some people in some amazing ways. We saw some amazing things even this past week in Fine Arts Camp and seeing just how how God has provided in the creative splendor of his majesty, allowing us, made in his image, to have something of that, to see that. But you can look at all of the the paintings that have been done and all of the amazing sculptures that have been made and all of the wonderful buildings that have been constructed, and you can do all this lengthy analysis, and you can stand there and behold it. But then when you look at creation, and you look at your loved ones, and you look at your, your your, your children, you look at your grandparents, you look at all the things that are outside in your yard, you start to behold all of his hands and all of this and the, the wonders of what he has done. It's not even close, is it? And then you think of how he's taken lives that have been broken and dead in trespasses and sin and made alive in Christ Jesus. And he's taken marriages that were once just a picture of fracture and decay and restored them into a life-giving picture. He's like, there's nothing even anywhere close to this. Behold our God, he's incomparable in his glory. Are we looking? Are we listening? Have we understood? His glory's been on display this whole time. And we are accountable for it. The Apostle Paul made this very clear when he said in Romans chapter 1, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. We are accountable. Who are we beholding? Who are we worshiping? Who do you know? Because the only real hope is found through faith in Jesus Christ. 
the eternal Son of God sent to save us. And as he continues to unpack this, listen to what he says in verse 22. He says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. That as we think about knowing our incomparable God, that he is incomparable in his immensity. Think about him sitting above the circle of the earth, sitting in terms of ruling and reigning with all authority, with absolute rule. He is enthroned. He was not set up there by somebody else. He sat down himself. His rule endures, and there's never a transfer of power that we have to worry about. And then you start to compare that with statues. Is it, any, is it even close? I mean, the largest statue on the earth right now is a statue in China. It's a statue of Buddha, and it's 420 feet tall. There's a statue of Shiva in India that's 348 feet tall. Colossus of Rhodes was 90 feet tall. The statue of Zeus at Olympia was 38 feet tall. You've seen those big old heads from Easter Island. They're 33 feet tall. Our God sits above the circle of the earth, ruling and reigning. And yes, when you read that, when it says sits above the circle of the earth, he did say that, didn't he? He does sit above the circle of the earth. There is an acknowledgement here. He is enthroned, and they understand the world in a spherical fashion. Now, many of you maybe heard when you were coming up in elementary school and you were learning about Christopher Columbus and somebody told you, because I heard it too, somebody told you along the way that everybody was fighting Christopher Columbus about going that way because he was going to fall off the planet because the earth was flat. No one in the church believed that. That is actually a made-up account in a fictionalized novel that was written by Washington Irving in the middle of the 19th century. That never happened. The reality, I mean, you can go back in church history and you can read time and time and time again, even 700 years before Columbus ever sailed anywhere. And Bede, the church historian, is talking about the spherical nature of the earth. We see it here biblically described. It's he who sits above the circle of the earth, who rules and reigns with incomparable immensity. And this is who pours out mercy into our lives. This is who answers our cries for wisdom. This is he who is our peace and our hope. And the inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Now this is an interesting reference too. You can think back in Numbers chapter 13 and you can remember when, you know, people were going to look at the promised land and they they came back and what was their report? Those, Those dudes are big. We're like grasshoppers. Their immensity is too much for us. God is saying here, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. The inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers to me. Only God is too mighty. We think about grasshoppers, and maybe you've got childhood memories that, you know, the average lifespan of a grasshopper is about a year, but once you catch one, it's pretty short from there. Get them in the jar, right? I don't know what you did with them. Maybe you used them as fishing bait. Maybe you just messed with them for a little while. But as you caught them, right, you put them in the little jar and you poke the holes in the top of the jar and you're looking at them, you're like, hey, that was pretty fun. As you were looking at those things, did you ever look down at one and say, I would lay down my life for this thing? Never crossed your mind, did it? 
Like, I'm way too big for this thing. My significance way outweighs this thing. Look at what our God has done for us. We are, are in comparison to his immensity as grasshoppers on the ground. And yet he beholds us made in his image. And he sought us to save us. He sent his only son to live in perfect righteousness, to die on the cross for our sin, and to rise from the dead that we would have forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. Isn't that amazing? You see, the immensity, not only of the magnitude of who he is, but the immensity of his care for you. That he stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. The people of, of, of Judah were headed into a land where the people were absolutely obsessed with the stars. And it's like he, he, they're being reminded here, remember that you know, when you know the Lord, when you have faith in him, you know he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. The known universe is 92 billion light years in diameter. Now, in other words, it's big. Right? You start to do the math, 541 sextillion miles. So that's 541 with 21 zeros after it. That would be like going to Mars and back 1,200 trillion times. That's a big old place. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. You look at that. The immensity of who he is, the immensity of his care for us, and then you look at the idol on the pedestal and you're like, what do I want with that thing? You look at the idol in your own life, maybe it's some sinful pursuit. Maybe it's something that you're trying to find contentment in. You look at that and you're like, it's not even close. Behold our God incomparable in his immensity. He spreads them like a tent to dwell in, spreads the heavens like a tent to dwell in. He is so immense, he spreads it all out to fill it out. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He fills out the entire universe better than you filled in that swimsuit when you went to the beach after the winter months of trying to keep warm. When you stood in front of the mirror, you're like, there ain't an inch to go. And in fact, you feel like, i got to go shopping. The omnipresence of the Lord, he fills everywhere. He is everywhere. There's not a place where you're going to go in your life where he is not there, where you cannot say, Lord, have mercy upon me, and he will not answer you. The immensity of our God that no matter how dark it may be, no matter how difficult it may be, he is there and he is alive. He spreads out the tent to dwell in. Look at it, the grandeur of his might, the immensity of who he is and the immensity of his providential ruling. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Incomparable in his providential power. We consider all the kings and maybe you watched King Charles's coronation and you watched all the pomp and the, the grandeur of all of that. But eventually, the same thing happens. He dies. And somebody else comes along. He thinks he's all big and bad. And then he's not. Who's actually in control here? Who's actually in charge? 
It says the rulers are as emptiness, like empty cans. Nothing can hinder our God. All of the exercise of this might and to know him, not only the immensity of who he is and that he's guiding all things, but that when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you can look at the one who makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness and say, that's my daddy. Because when you say it like that, it's like, what am I afraid of? Whom shall I fear other than him? Scarcely are they planted. When he blows on them, they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. You consider how God has brought about glorious results through rulers who are actually trying to do the opposite. You think of all of what was going on in Babylon. Never in Nebuchadnezzar's wildest imagination did he imagine that his life would wind up giving glory to God himself. But go read the book of Daniel, and you'll see how that's exactly what happened. Never in the wildest imagination of Alexander the Great, as he is conquering the known world, did he think, as I spread the Greek language across the known world, this is going to help in the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never in Julius Caesar's wildest dreams did he think, as we rule and reign and put down every sort of revolt revolt and rebellion and build roads here, there, and everywhere, never in his imagination did he think, I'm going to make it easier for Christian missionaries to travel here, there, and everywhere to tell people about Jesus. Never in the wildest imagination did Herod and Pontius Pilate think, we're going to put this guy to death. Did they think, no, 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 you're going to bring life to millions upon millions upon millions of people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. Look at how providentially powerful our great God is. So fleeting is the power of the mighty that all it takes for our great God to do to bring it to nothing is Like a dandelion, just, it's gone. And when it's gone, guess who's still sitting above the circle of the earth? Behold our God in the grandeur of who he is. Don't trust in anything or anyone else trust in him. To whom will you compare me that I should be like them, says the Holy One. You can't look at the idol and say, look at what he's done. He didn't do anything. I had to do everything for him. But you can look at our God and say, look at what he's done. Look at the wonder of his creative power. Look at the wonder of what he's done in the lives of people. Look at how he has sought and saved the lost. How he has reconciled rebellious sinners to himself and made them his children. He has taken those who were his enemies and reconciled them to make them his own. That he has demonstrated his love in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who restores and who sustains? Who's mighty to help? Who brings contentment? Who's worthy of an eternity's worth of attention? Who else could we say? Only the Holy One. We need this constant reminder. The Holy One who is perfect in His moral splendor, who is set apart for His own glory and calls us to do the very same thing. Holiness in every one of His attributes, that His love is a holy love, that every expression, His grace is holy grace, all of His works and the way in which He works that out in believers so that we become ever increasingly more like Him. What an amazing God we have, incomparable in His glory. Do you know Him is the question. Because we can go down this long list of facts and we can say this is amazing and we can do all the math and write all the zeros after the number. But if you've never come to know him through faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean anything other than that's the one that you know good and well you're going to be accountable to one day.
that as we behold him, we are meant to cry out for his mercy and to trust in his grace. And in case you ever forget, go outside at night and look up. For as he says in verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. He brings them all out by number, calls them all by name, and not one of them is missing. Now it's hard for our minds to even grapple the way in which celestial motion even works because we're moving here and that's moving there and this is moving here and we're trying to put it all together and make sense out of all these things. I mean, we, have, we get a hard time looking at a watch sometimes and here we are and God is not losing track of anything. Nothing escapes his notice. The farthest reaches of outer space where there's just a little ball of burning combustible gas, he keeps track of of it, and he calls them out by name. Conservative estimates are 10, there are 10 trillion galaxies in the universe with an average of 100 billion stars per galaxy. Now, I see some of y'all trying to do the math. It's big. We're talking about one septillion stars, conservatively. That's one with 24 zeros after it. You just want to write that down. You might need to turn your paper sideways, though. He brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. And I got to believe he's got better names than Ursa Major. You think of even for what it would take for us if we were to count to a billion with one number every second, without break, it would take 31 years, 251 days, 6 hours, 50 minutes, and 46 seconds. Which would mean for us to say that even the names of the stars, if we could get it out in one second each, it would take 32 quadrillion years just to say it. Behold our God who calls them out by name every night. And not one is missing. Not one. And if he keeps track of the fires across the universe, how much more so does he keep track of the people made in his own image? He's not missing. He's not too far gone. He's not out of reach. He will never lose you. And that when you know Jesus Christ, you can, you can cry out and nothing, not on heaven, not on earth, not anywhere, not anything can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. The immensity of his knowledge of your own hurts and all your sorrows. He's kept count of every one of your tossings and kept your tears in a bottle. Who takes your hardest moments to make these magnificent moments of grace where he works in your life. Not one is missing. Behold the immensity of his knowledge, including the knowledge of every single one of us, our own sin. He knows what's going on 92 billion light years from here with some ball of combustible gas. You think he overlooked what's going on in our own hearts? We who are made in his image, made to worship him, made to cry out in faith, made to know him, made to long for him, made to trust him. And he knows how deep and ugly our sin nature is. 
He knows all those thoughts that you have that you don't shake. All those actions that you're involved in that you know you shouldn't do. And still, in knowing all of that, he still sent Jesus. Even with everything that he knows, he still sent him. Because he loves you. And he's calling you to himself today. That we would turn away from our own sin and we would turn to the one who is our creator. We would say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And we would experience the full joy and the weight of he who created all things, who rules and reigns over all things for all eternity and leads and guides all things to his glory as he draws us to himself, forgives us. Reminds us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Calls us his son, clothes us in Jesus' righteousness, and says you are mine forever and I'll never lose you. Do you know him? As he calls you today, trust in the Lord. And be reminded of his incomparable glory. When you walked in here this morning, who were you worshiping? Whose song were you singing? Whose worship and adoration were you given? What were you thinking about when we were singing those songs about the greatness of the Lord? If you are here this morning and anything or anyone has caught your attention and you realize now it doesn't even remotely compare, look at the mercy of God who would say these things to us because he is calling you to himself. To trust that he in love sent Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Fully God and fully man, lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin and went to the cross and died in our place. He endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sins so that all who repent and believe have forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. Won't you go to him today? So that the incomparable immensity of our God that we have seen here today can be the one that you cry out from your own heart and say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive glory and honor and praise because he took this sinful wretch and saved me and made a child of the King. Let us worship him in spirit and truth as we respond together today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. God, may we not miss the moment. Lord, as we behold you in your incomparable glory, as we are reminded of the immensity of your knowledge and that once we have Jesus, no one can snatch us out of your hand. Father, in this moment now, be magnified in our midst. May the people who are here who have never known Jesus as Savior and Lord, Father, may they cry out to you and simply say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead, and I believe there's forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. Father, may they be saved today. Father, for all of us who have worshipped and adored things, we know good and well we shouldn't. In your mercy, 
Call us away from such trivial affections that we may behold you in all your incomparable glory and rejoice. Father, be exalted and be pleased with our response and worship to you together here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.